Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Minor profits, major impact. That's what we start today at Harvest. Oh, but actually, I'm, I'm sorry. I need I need to do one more thing before we get to that. Corey, can you help me one more second here, please? Sorry, I didn't tell you about this in advance. I have I have an important message for Dan Martin. Would would you deliver that message to him, please? You don't have to read it. I, you, you, I mean, I'd like you to read it. You don't have to read it out loud, but I just want to make sure that. <laughs> well, Corey just delivered a message, right? Now, let me ask you some tough questions. Was that Corey's message? Was the message intended for Dan? You know, you, you thought Corey was uh, your associate and student pastor, but he's your resident prophet. That's exactly what the prophets did. They delivered not their messages. That, that wasn't Corey's message. If Corey would have sent that message, it had something silly about Alabama or something like that. But that was, that, that was a message that he delivered that somebody else gave him to deliver and and he had one job and that was get the message to the intended audience that's what the prophets did god had messages that he wanted to give his people and he chose many prophets to deliver those messages and in fact most of the time, they spoke the messages. Most of the messages were verbal, right? In fact, we're starting today the book of Hosea, and it's a collection of Hosea's messages over 25 years or more of ministry. But sometimes... God didn't have the messages or the prophets speak messages. He had them act out messages. He had them do things that would present his message. For example, Jeremiah smashed jars. Ezekiel baked bread over human waste. Yes, you heard that right. And Isaiah walked around naked for three years. Now, who wants to be a prophet? (laughs) There are, in the Bible, there are four so-called major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And there are 12 minor prophets. Starting with Hosea, it's the last 12 books in the Old Testament. So here's, let me ask you another question. Here's a yes or no answer. 
Are the minor prophets less important than the major prophets? Okay. The reason why they're called minor prophets is their length. They're relatively short. They're all pretty short. Some of them are just a chapter or two or three. Some of them are a little bit longer, but compared to Isaiah, 66 chapters and Ezekiel, Daniel, that's why they're called minor prophets. And we're starting a series in them today called Minor Prophets, but Major Impact. Because they were designed to have a major impact on the people who heard their messages, and hopefully they'll have a major impact on us too. Now, the time frame in which these prophets, these minor prophets spoke, they lived between 760 and 460 BC. That's, you know, 800 to 500 years before Jesus Christ lived and walked on the earth. And that period of time in the ancient Near East where they lived and ministered was marked by so much upheaval. There was religious and political and moral upheaval. It was a time where God's law, the Mosaic law, was not being kept. Nations were moving and boundaries were shifting. And it was just, it was just kind of a terrible time. And they needed to hear a word from God. And God provided those needed words through these prophets. And we're just going to take them kind of from start to finish and do one prophet each week. So if you haven't picked up one of these already, there's this little guide that gives you the schedule, gives you a chance to take notes, to ask, write down questions, gives you some prayer tips, gives you some great background on the prophets. Every week there's a QR code that you can scan. You can get a real like a five-minute overview of the prophet. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have used one of those QR codes this week, perhaps? Did some of you get to do it? Okay, some of you have already done it. That's great. Pick these up in the lobby. This is also available on our website. So let's start at Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Birai during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Now, why do I have Judah and Israel highlighted there? This is very, very important, not just for Hosea, but for us to understand. If we're going to understand really much of the Old Testament, all of the prophets, not just the even the minor prophets, including the major prophets, it's really important to know what is meant by Israel and what is meant by Judah and what is happening here. So let me put a map up. The high point, now God's people in the Old Testament were the Jews, right? Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. And we read in the Old Testament about their various journeys, how God rescued them out of Egypt sent them into the promised land, and then they got established. And the high point in the history of Israel was the reigns of King David and his son, King Solomon. I mean, that's when Israel was united. That's when it was one nation. 
And that's, that, that, those were the glory years, so to speak, of Israel. But after Solomon died in the 10th century BC, about 922, decline started setting in. And actually the kingdom divided there. It was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. You can read about that in 1 Kings um, uh, chapter 12. It was something like a civil war without there being killing. And you can see on your screen here, there's, there's a, a, a dark green, which is Israel. And the light green is Judah. All of that used to be Israel. That, that, was, that was the nation of Israel. But when Solomon died, his son, Rehoboam, was in line to become the next king. And yet, there was a man named Jeroboam that we just read about in chapter 1, who was a wicked man, and he had influence over the 10 tribes of Israel that lived more up north. So there were 12 tribes of Israel. And Jeroboam had influence over them and they started complaining. They wanted, they complained about taxation. They wanted to have less taxes. Everybody's always wanted that, right? But when Rehoboam said no, for that and other reasons, these tribes rebelled and it's like, they're like, we're, we're, we're leaving. We're, we're, going to separate ourselves. So they left because Jeroboam started uh, setting up pagan practices like they they worshipped uh, calves, you know, and they did things that, you know, were totally against God and against God's ways. And so as they as they did that, he said, you don't need to go down to Jerusalem anymore. That was the capital. You don't need to go. So it's like at that point, it was just a big separation. And they kept the name Israel. So they were Israel. Now, sometimes, at, well, as you're reading in the Minor Prophets, when you see Israel, this is generally what it's referring to, this northern part, this rebellious group of the nation. Sometimes you'll even read about one of their tribes called Ephraim. Ephraim was one of the leading most prominent tribes. So sometimes when you read Ephraim, it's referring to the whole nation. All right. That's the dark green. The light green, there were two tribes left, Judah and Benjamin, and they stayed loyal to King Rehoboam. And so they we're still God's people, but they started being called by the most prominent tribe, Judah. So that's why sometimes you'll read about Israel and sometimes you'll read about Judah. It was all God's people to begin with, all Israel, and then they divided in their kingdom. And every, if you read the history of the Old Testament, read like the book of Kings, every one of the kings in the northern kingdom were evil. Every single one of them. The southern kingdom, Judah, had a, it was a mixture. Some of them were good and God-fearing, and some of them were not good. They were also evil. And so, as we get to this spot, 
As we're starting this new series and we're starting Hosea, this is what God's people looked like. Now, there were other nations that we'll read about and we'll hear about. And one of them is the nation of Assyria. Because because of Israel's sin, because of the way they mistreated God and mistreated each other, God said, I'm going to allow this other nation to come in and take you captive. I'm, we're going to come in and destroy your nation and take you away. And that happened in 722 B.C., about 800 years before Jesus was born. That's exactly what happened. And when they took nations into exile, like today in contemporary times, it seems like when there's a war, a lot of times a nation might invite another, invade another nation and, and you know, they destroy them. But back then they would take the prisoners and in this case they took the leading citizens kind of it they would take them and bring them back to their own country they would take them away from their 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 home country and they would spread them out and intermingle them with pe- other people they had captured so that they would completely lose their identity and that's kind of what's happened have you ever heard the phrase the 10 lost tribes of israel that that's where this comes from israel these tribes when they got taken away to israel or to assyria They never essentially fully came back and established themselves. Judah, at this point, was still, they were still trying to serve God, but eventually that failed. And so in 586, about 135 years later, the nation of Babylon came in and took them captive. So that's that's just an idea to give you where we are when we're going to look at these books called the minor prophets. Now today, Hosea, most of the prophets spoke either to the northern kingdom, to Israel, or they spoke to the southern kingdom, Judah. You can see Hosea's kind of on the line there because he spoke mostly to Israel, but he, he did speak some to Judah, a little bit unusual in that regard. And as we look at Hosea today, we're going we're gonna to do three things. First of all, we're going to look at the story. There's a story here, and we're going to talk about the story of Hosea's life, and that is given in the first three chapters of Hosea. Then we're going to see in the next big section of the book the spiritual significance. What does this mean? What does this story mean? Why did God tell Hosea to do what he told him to do? And then, finally, we're going to apply it. We're going to say, how does that apply to our lives today? How does this help us today? So, let's take a look. Remember I the little thing we acted out a minute ago when I had Corey actually go deliver a message to Dan that was acted? The prophets spoke words, but sometimes God did their prophecy through their lives. And that's what happens with Hosea. So right at the beginning, verse 2 of Hosea, if you have your Bible, you have a device, you want to power up and see it, or you want to see it on the screen, here we go. Verse 2 of chapter 1, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman. And have children with her. 
For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Did you let that sink in? Hosea, the prophet, the man of God who's trying to be pure and speaking for God. Hosea, here's your task. I want you to go marry a prostitute. I want you to go marry an adulteress. I want you to go marry a promiscuous woman. So I have been in ministry for over 30 years. And I've been privileged to perform a lot of marriage ceremonies. And usually, you know, the way it goes, the bride is like hidden. Nobody sees her or, you know. And, and, and the, the pastor and the groom are off in a little room somewhere or hidden over here. And, and like the guy's all nervous, you know, and waiting. And some of them are emotional and some of them don't know what to do. Well, all of them don't know what to do. And as they're standing there in that moment, they're getting ready to make one of the most important decisions and commitments of their lives. They're going to marry somebody. I tried it. So I'm thinking this. I'm thinking, what if I said to them, hey, you know what? This woman that you're about to marry, she's promiscuous and she's going to be promiscuous all of your marriage. How many of them do you think would still walk down that aisle <laughs> or, or wait for her as she walked down the aisle? This is the story. This is such. Hey, I didn't write this. <laughs> I didn't order. Hosea just happens to be the first one. And this is where we're starting. Go, go marry a promiscuous woman. Because like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So. And you're going to have children, and he's going to name these children, and even the names of their children are going to have a meaning as well. Verse 3, so he married Gomer, which, that was, well, he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. Because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Jezreel means scattered. So this first son was a picture of the way God was going to scatter the nations. Remember, go back to our map. We'll go all the way back here. You had one people of Israel. Now they're divided into two, but they're going to get scattered into Assyria. And later, Judah will get scattered into Babylon. That's what is happening here. That's what this name means. Verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her... Ruhema, Ruhema, it's hard to say, (laughs) which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. This name means unpitied. God was going to take his mercy away from his people. Yet, verse 7, I 
I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. So what was going to come in in 622 when Israel was going to get taken out to Assyria, that wasn't going to happen to Judah. God was going to protect them, and he did for a while. Later, when we look at some other prophets, we'll find out what happened to Judah as well. Verse 8, after she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. The Lord said, call him Lo-Ammi. And Lo in Hebrew is the negative. It means not. So Lo-Ammi means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Ancient Israel broke their fellowship with God. They disobeyed God. They did all these horrible things, and God said, for the time being, you're not my people anymore. But lest we totally go into despair, look at verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. In other words, it looks bad and I'm telling you what's going to happen and it's going to be bad. But ultimately and finally, there is some hope out there. Now think about this. Think about. How poignant this is for God to tell a prophet, go marry a promiscuous woman and she's going to keep being promiscuous. We don't really know for sure if she was promiscuous before they got married or if God just knew that she was going to become that way. But whichever, she definitely became that way. And and she conceived these children, probably not by Hosea, at least potentially not by Hosea is the way it reads. And she goes out and and it's, it's just a very, very bad situation. If that were you, how would you feel if you were Hosea? How would you respond if you were Hosea? Many years ago, and this is public information there was a vice presidential candidate from our state john edwards who was guilty of being unfaithful to his wife elizabeth edwards and listen to her words when she described how she felt when she discovered this she said After I cried and screamed, I went to the bathroom and threw up. And the next day, John and I spoke. He wasn't coy, but it turned out he wasn't forthright either. I felt the ground underneath me had been pulled away. I spent months learning to live with a a single incident of infidelity. And I would like to say that a single incident is easy to overcome, but it is not. I am who I am. I am imperfect in a million ways. But I always thought I was the kind of woman, the kind of wife to whom a husband would be faithful. I had asked for fidelity, begged for it really when we married. I never need flowers or jewelry. I don't care about vacations or a nice car, but I need you to be faithful. 
Leave me if you must, but be faithful to me if you're with me. That's the way most wives feel, right? That's the way most husbands feel. That's the way God has designed it. For you to enter into a covenant relationship of marriage with somebody and you're faithful to them and they're faithful to you. You're imperfect, they're imperfect, but there's faithfulness. That's what marriage is. And here's Hosea being told to go marry somebody who was not going to be faithful. And she leaves him. And then God tells Hosea to do something even more amazing to me. Chapter 3, verse 1. Hosea says, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. That was part of their idolatrous practices. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a letdeck of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute. Or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way towards you. So he went down into the public market. His wife had left him. She was with another man. She had borne these children to Hosea. And apparently the other man was going to sell her into slavery. They sold people into slavery in those days, unfortunately. And the price for a male slave was 30 shekels. The price for a female shave, the slave was 15 shekels. And here's Hosea. Can you imagine the pathos of him going down and buying his wife back? Not because she had come to her senses and came back to him and begged for forgiveness. But while she was still with another man, still in adultery and being sold as a slave, Hosea goes down there and buys his wife back. Why? Because this is a picture. When God's people... Israel went and did their thing. When they disobeyed God, when they turned to idolatry, they were being like a prostitute. They were committing spiritual adultery. And God is like Hosea, who says, you know what? I still love you. I still love you. That's that's the story of Hosea. Now, he says in verse 4, because this, what he had just said about you come back to me, the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. That's the story of Hosea. How is this significant? What does it mean? We've already started talking about what it means. 
You see on the screen and on your outline sheet, if you have one of those, here's what's going to happen. And we're going to go through this really quickly. Bang, 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 bang. It goes back and forth. There, these, these little shapes on the screen are not there just because they wouldn't all fit in one line. They could have fit in one line. They're there intentionally because everything on the left, which now is highlighted in a different color, that's the negative. That's the problem. That's the disobedience. That's the warnings against Israel about what's going to happen. And everything on the right shows in those chapters we see mainly, and there's some sprinkled here and there, but mainly we see that's about God's love and God's forgiveness and hope. So let's walk through these really quickly. Chapters 4 and 5 are about spiritual adultery. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. So this, this is why they're being called spiritual adulterers. These, they're breaking the Ten Commandments. They're doing these things. Verse 12, they also go to idolatry. My people consult a wooden idol. And a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. Chapter 5, verse 6. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. And as you go from chapters 4 to 7, You'll see a lot of images. Hosea uses a lot of images to show how bad their condition was, like a, a morning cloud in chapter 6, verse 4. The cloud appears, and then it, then it disappears really quickly. It's here one minute. Or a half-baked cake in chapter 7, because spiritually, that's what, their, that's what their spirituality was like. It was like halfway done. It didn't go deep into their lives. And then a silly dove in chapter 7. It was unstable. They would go from one ally, one political ally to another. And then a a deceitful bow in chapter 7 or a crooked bow that you couldn't even depend on. This was spiritual adultery. And so in chapter 6, God calls them to repent. Listen to these words from Hosea. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. God wanted them to see their sin and come back. But they made wrong choices. Chapter 7 talks a lot about it. Ephraim, again, Ephraim is another name for Israel because it's the leading tribe, one of the leading tribes. Ephraim's like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. These were pagan nations. Egypt, Assyria, they were supposed to be following God, but oh no, let's go... Let's depend on Egypt to help us, or let's depend on Assyria to help us. They were depending on other nations when they needed to depend on God. They were also 
depending on idolatry. Verse 14, they do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing not to me, to their gods, these idols for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. And because of all of that, here's what the consequences are. Chapter 9, verse 3, they will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. And that happened. Assyria came in, took them away out of their land. But in chapter 11, we see God's love. In spite of Israel being spiritually adulterous, look what God does and says. Verse 8, how, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? Those I Sometimes people think pastors know everything. When I read that, I had to go, who, who is that? So I had to look those up. You, you may remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament that were destroyed because of their wickedness. There were other little cities in the plain around them, and these are two of them, Adma and Zeboim. I, I know you knew that, but I didn't, so I'm just sharing. My heart has changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger. Nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. This is God's love. In spite of all of that, this is what I'm going to do. But in chapter 12 and 13, he does give them warnings. He does give them warnings. We'll just look at one of them in verse 13. Of chapter 12, the Lord used a prophet to bring Israel up from Egypt by a prophet. He cared for him. But Ephraim has aroused his bitter anger. The Lord will leave on him the guilt of his bloodshed and will repay him for his contempt. Again, this is a collection of all these different things Hosea has said over 25 years or more. And and it includes warnings, but then as we come to the very last chapter in the book, we get this amazing call. After all of this, the call is to return. The call is to return. The call is to come back. Chapter 14, verse 1. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. In other words, they're saying, we're not going to go depend on these other nations anymore. And we're not going to depend on idolatry. These things our hands made, these idols that we made, we're not going to say to them, you're our God. 
God, we're coming to you. This, this is what the call is to return to the Lord. And what does God say in verse 4? I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. That's a great verse. <laughs> I don't know where you are today. We're, we're about to do the application. <laughs> I don't know if you're wayward or have been wayward. But if you are, I can say to you what Hosea said to God's people. God will heal your waywardness if you come back to him. So here's God's word for us this morning. Spiritual adultery brings terrible consequences. But a loving God still invites his people to repent and return to him. That's the message of Hosea. Yeah. If you, if you rebel against God, there are going to be consequences. The nation of Israel found that out and ended up losing their nation, losing their homeland, and suffering in so many ways. But God still invites His people to repent and return to Him. So here's the application. I'll give you two applications this morning. There are two things I want to encourage you to do. First of all, I want to encourage you to admit your own spiritual adultery today. It's easy to look at Israel and say, oh, yeah, they built these little idols and they depended on all these other nations. But the very last verse of the book of Hosea, it's like whoever collected all these sayings of Hosea, you know, that's what happened. And it's like this person is summarizing it. In the very last verse, who is wise, let them realize these things. Who is discerning, let them understand the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. God's heart is still broken by our spiritual adultery today. When we make other things more important than God, when we give to other things the place in our hearts and lives and time and energy and money that only God deserves, his heart's still broken. Whether that's a thing that's amoral, something that's neither good nor bad in itself, or it's something that is bad, it might be a job, it might be a friendship, it might be a relationship, it might be our career, it might just be our will. When we, when we do that, or when we go into evil, sin, actual adultery, pornography, lying, prejudice, murder, whatever it is, when we act in those ways that are dishonoring to God, all of that is spiritual adultery. It's just like Gomer going out and being unfaithful to Hosea and we can be like that with God James chapter 4 verse 4 says you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God so 
admit today your own spiritual adultery. Number two, repent and return to the God who loves you. Repent and return. Repent means acknowledge, admit that you're wrong. And you've been walking in this direction and you know it's the wrong direction. And it's like, God, I want to turn towards you. I want to come back to you. God loves you. How, how do we know God? Well, we know God loved Israel. He said it. But how do we know that God loves us today? <laughs> Romans 5, 8, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still, what's the next word? Sinners. Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us because we were good or we deserved it. He knew we were going to be great church people. It's like, yeah, they're sinners. And I am going to die for them. That is how much I love them. What a picture of love. We were like Gomer. (laughs) This is God's grace. This is God's grace. To bring us back to himself. To die for us. And he called. His people called after he died. And Peter preached to the people in Acts. He said, repent and return to God. So that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that is the message. If some of you here either in person or watching online, you might be a relatively good moral person in the eyes of everybody, but you know in your heart that you have sinned against God. You know the spiritual adulteries you've committed. You know the wrong that you have done. And God wants to say to you, repent, come on back to me. I love you. And it might be, today might be the day, the very day that you open your heart and life and give it to him completely and be saved. And that's his promise if you'll do it. He'll wipe out those sins. And I invite you to do that. But you know, repentance is not only for people who aren't Christians yet. Those of us who are believers and following Christ... Sometimes we'll choose things in our lives that are wrong, right? That need dealing with. And to a church at Laodicea, John wrote in Revelation 3, Those whom I rebuke, I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. This is Christ standing there saying this. To this church, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's to the church. Spiritual adultery brings terrible consequences, but a loving God still invites his people to repent and return to him. Or as E.K. Bailey says it, you can break God's heart. But you cannot break God's love. Well, let me close with this. Clovis Chapel was a noted preacher. Born in the late 1800s. Died in about 1970, 1972. 
Chapel told about a young man that lived in Chicago and went down into the bluegrass regions of Kentucky and lived for a time and met a woman and fell in love with her and married her. They married. He brought her back to Chicago. They moved back in the city of Chicago. But after three years, the first three years of marriage were great. Everybody was happy. Everybody was healthy. But something happened to her, and it was in the middle of a sickness and a seizure of pain. She became mentally deranged, at least partially. And she would just scream. And it was disturbing, and he couldn't figure it out. And we lived in, we didn't live in the city in Chicago. We lived out in the suburbs, but in the city in Chicago, the houses are really close together. <laughs> like you, you can almost reach out the window and touch the neighbor who would be reaching out the window. And the neighbors would be complaining about this woman screaming. So what the man did is he sold the house. He moved out to one of the western suburbs and built a house because he thought, I'm going to nurse her back to health. And so that's what he did. One day, his family physician suggested to him, maybe if you just take her back to Kentucky, take her back to some familiar surroundings and just spend a little bit of time there, maybe that'll trigger something in her and and it might help the healing process. So they did that. They go back to the old homestead. They walked hand in hand through the old house with the good memories. They walked down by the river. But they were there a few days and nothing happened. So the man was sad and discouraged. And he got in his car and they drove back to Chicago. And he was thinking, well, there's not much hope. But when they were almost back to the house... He looked over and his wife was asleep and she was restful. And so when they pulled up to the house, he reached in and picked her up out of the car. And he took her in the house and he laid her on the bed. This was the first time in weeks that she was having some restful sleep. He didn't want to disturb her. So he got a chair. And he pulled his chair beside the bed. And he sat there. Watched the hours tick by. Midnight, 2 a.m., 4 a.m. All night long, the man sat in the chair beside his bed, beside, beside the bed. And in the morning, the wife woke up and she looked over. It's like, it's like she was coming out of it. And she said to him, she said, I feel like I've been gone for a long time, but I'm back. Where, where have you been all this time? And he looked at her and he said, my sweetheart, I've been here the whole time waiting for you. That's the message of Hosea.
God says to his people, to his sweetheart, to his bride, dirty, broken, sinful, adulterous, I'm going to wait for you. Let's bow our heads, please. Don't you want to repent of your wrong today? (laughs) Don't you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, as your loving Savior today? Believer, don't you want to repent of your wrong today and allow him to draw you closer? Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.